Jake, I'm not even going to say anything because you're going to look stupid here in a second. Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And I'm your host, Katie. And today we are talking about Robert Hansen, part two. Part two of Bobby Boy. Why don't you go ahead and remind us where we left off, Katie? So last week we left off with Robert Hansen having just been granted furlough from his halfway house that he was paroled to after the assault of Susie Hubbard. Did you guys notice? I don't know. When we posted that picture last week, I didn't realize exactly what he looked like before, but it turns out that he actually does look like Logic, so he is, in this case, Bobby Boy. Does he? Yeah, I think so. Like, creepy, like, Buddy Holly, Logic mix. We did. I think we ended last time with uh, you going over what the town was like, what Alaska was like back then. Basically, yeah. yeah. Lots of exotic dancers. Strippers. Strippers and prostitutes, sex workers of various degree. Yes. Is your research the same this week, Katie? Yeah, the book was Fair Game by Bernard Duclos. All right, well, why don't you go ahead and uh, start us off. Not every murder Hansen is suspected of committing is 100% confirmed, but investigators are pretty certain that he's responsible. This is because Robert Hansen kept a map of the Alaskan wilderness and marked specific spots where he dumped the bodies of the women that he killed. After his arrest, many of the marks on the map did lead detectives to graves, but some bodies were not able to be located, likely because of animals. The first mark on Hansen's map is assumed to have been made in July of 1973. Gloria, his wife, took their daughter to the lower 48 for a visit with her parents. This left Hansen alone and completely unsupervised despite his recent parole. On July 7, 1973, 17-year-old Megan Emmerich had just finished folding her laundry and decided to go into town. She got dressed, walked out of her dorm, and was never seen again. The mark on Hansen's map was at Resurrection Bay in Seward, Alaska, a port town. Hansen kept his boat at the small boat harbor in Seward and would use it to fish and hunt, apparently not just for animals. Do we happen to be lucky enough to know what he named his boat? I don't think it was anything like funny or exciting that you guys think it's going to be. He's not a very interesting person. He's not a very creative person. No. Seward. The C word. That's the name of the boat in Arrested Development. It's probably one of the greatest names. C word, because yeah. it's like yep. C word and C word. Um, slice of Life, that's the Dexter's boat. I'm guessing this dude's boat is the SS Acne Scar. What about like uh, the Naughty Cole? I actually like that one the best. That's a really <laughs> good fucking name for a boat. It was named the Christy M. Because the Christy M? It was a Chris Craft. Oh, fucking Christ. They, oh. The only contact with Seward police Hansen ever had was when some stolen items were found on his boat. And he called the cops about this? No, he stole the items and hid them on his boat, so he had the cops called on him. Oh, okay, I get you. I thought that like he had called them to report stuff missing off of his boat, and I was like, that doesn't make much sense when you're a murderer. He passed a lie detector and was never charged, allowing him to be officially paroled in December of 1973. It's a good thing the lie detectors are so accurate. In 1974, a woman was walking home from a party when Hansen rolled down his window and offered her a ride. She accepted, noting that he didn't seem threatening and describing him later as the perfect dork. Hansen drove her home, then wouldn't let her exit the car and pulled a gun on her before driving away. Once they'd stopped, Hansen forced her to undress, accept her shirt, and give him oral sex with a gun to her head. 
He then made her flash a car passing by them. After several hours, he began to drive around looking for another woman to assault. When he found no one, he handed the gun to the woman and told her she could now make him do anything she wanted. Thinking it was a trap and the gun wasn't loaded, the woman did nothing. Eventually, Hansen let her go, making her promise to never go to the police. So when he gave her the gun, was that like a, like a fantasy or like a bondage thing or like a submissive thing? Like he just she wasn't into it, so he got bored and let her go or No, he just wanted to fuck with her. Was the gun loaded? Probably. She sh- shot him. But he assumed that yeah. she would think that it wasn't. I mean, it's absolutely fucked because it's kind of like this crazy power trip. He just forced her to do all this horrible shit, and then he gave her the gun to see if they were the same and that she would force him to do something or she would hurt him and kill him. But she made an assumption, and uh, it sucks. That was fucking, that's absolutely fucking horrible. That's so brutal. The thing with sexual assault is that there's an uncertainty to it, and I think he wanted to up that risk of, I'm not going to just get caught. She could literally kill me. Okay. She kept that promise, telling her foster parents about the incident, but asking they didn't call authorities. The next day, her foster parents called social services and asked that she be removed from their home. The woman kept quiet about the attack for 10 years until she told a reporter her story in 1984. So wait, the parents kicked her out of the house because she was attacked? Yes. Oh man, that's they just fucked. So they, they literally were just like, nope, we don't want anything to do with this whole situation. More than likely, seeing the time period, they probably blamed her for it. And that's why they wanted her out. Fuck. Okay. And that's why she also didn't say anything for 10 years. That whole, sucks. Yeah, whole fucked up situation back in these times for any situation like this. Um, a lot of victim shaming and whatnot. The second mark along Resurrection Bay came in 1975. On July 5th, 23-year-old Mary Thill was given a ride into Seward by some friends. After dropping her off, she was never seen again. So the, the second mark is presumed to be Mary Thill? It's pretty much confirmed they never found her body, and he would never admit to it, but it kind of had to be her, because only two women went missing from Seward. Okay. Did he not admit to this, like, the stuff that he did, or was he proud of it? He admitted to some, not all of them. Okay. Later that same summer, Hansen was frequenting strip clubs in Anchorage and in Seward. One night at the Kit Kat Club, Hansen approached a dancer and asked if she would like to meet him later on, flashing a roll of money to entice her. She agreed, and the two met in the parking lot after her shift. When she got into the car, Hansen pulled out his gun and pointed it at her head. He drove them to Chugach State Park, raped her, and let her go. The woman went to the rape crisis center and reported the assault. Hansen's plate number and positively ID'd him from a photo, but she refused to report the rape to police. A state trooper, Sam Bernard, looked into Hansen and reported the assault to his parole officer, but not much else could be done without any formal charges filed. When Hansen's parole officer questioned him, Hansen claimed that they agreed upon an amount, but she tried changing it last minute and he refused to pay. This upset her, so she reported it as rape. So she had decided, I'm guessing probably mostly because she was afraid and didn't think anyone would believe her or whatnot, not to make a police report. But then when he was not only going to get away with you know, what he did and raping her, he was also going to kind of shit on her reputation by saying that she had upped the price on him and 
she just decided to go ahead and go through with the police report at that point? No, she never went to police. So she didn't fight. So, well, who'd she report it as rape to then? The rape, the crisis. rape crisis center. And then they told a detective about it. They told a state trooper about it, but she never filed charges. He can't just arrest him for raping someone without having a victim. But she was only in town to make money exotic dancing, and then she was going to get out. I think she was a teacher. So she did not want the publicity of having to go to trial and go through this and have her name out there. That's why she never reported it. His story about her raising the price and then getting angry is bullshit. Obviously. In 1976, Hanson's second child, a son, was born. Oh, those are one of those bicentennial babies. 200 years old. He and Gloria purchased a new house after saving up for a year and were still relatively well off financially. This didn't stop Hanson's thievery, though, as he was spotted at a sporting goods store acting suspiciously. A worker watched as Hanson picked up a receipt off the floor, picked up a $179 chainsaw, and walked out the door. The security guard caught up to Hanson, and charges were filed, leading to an indictment for felony larceny a week later. The DA chose to file felony charge rather than a misdemeanor shoplifting because of Hanson's background. Hanson pleaded not guilty and bonded out of jail. Using his usual tactics, he went straight to a psychiatrist to prepare his defense. Unlike four years ago when his psychiatrist told the parole board Hanson had made great progress, now the doctor diagnosed Hanson as high on the schizophrenic scale, high on the manic scale, high on the antisocial scale, and narcissistic with magical thinking. Hanson's defense didn't find any of this useful and instead had him change his plea to guilty on January 19, 1977. So his defense wasn't quite ready to back the magical thinking defense? I think they just knew that there was no getting out of this because they had him pretty much dead to rights. So they said, no, just plead guilty. Did his doctor intentionally like do a full 180 on his diagnosis to help with his case or to make him look crazy? Different doctors. It was the same doctor. I think he was, Ah. he's just really good at pretending. And when he wanted to be better, he was fine. And when he wants to be not okay, he's not okay. Before the judge, Hansen explained that he wanted to give his father, who was overweight and had already had one heart attack, the chainsaw for Christmas, but couldn't afford it after buying his family the new house. He left the store without it, but came across a man having a heart attack in the parking lot, which convinced him he should just steal the chainsaw to make his father happy. Okay, so at this point, has he actually been diagnosed as having schizophrenia or is he just did he just test high on the scale for these things uh is it just his malingering or is this setting out setting up his i blacked out i don't remember anything defense again like where does this story come from is this something that actually happened or is this some bullshit he made up no he just knows how to lie to get out of any sort of criminal charges i don't think he definitely had some psychopathy but I don't think he was ever schizophrenic. I think that was just a overarching diagnosis they like to give back then. It reminds me of like, um, you know, like the sob story when someone, the other day this girl came up to me at the gas station and told me how far away her kids were from her and she needed money to get across town. And I didn't have any cash on me because it's the pandemic, right? So like, oh, I don't have any cash. And she rolled her eyes and started walking away from me. And I was like, uh, cash is filthy. You should wash your hands. <laughs> and then she walked away. But no, that's what it reminds me of. It's like <clears throat> just 
like uh, a sob story, like to try to get what you want out of somebody. Yeah, no, his father was perfectly healthy. He was not overweight and no one had a heart attack in the parking lot. Hansen's lawyers requested a delay so a new psychiatrist could see him and the case would continue on March 22nd. Did he at least help the dude? Oh, it's it's a fake. It's fake. Okay, never mind. I was going to say. Yeah, no one was having a heart there attack. There was no guy anywhere. having a heart attack. But hypothetically, I would hope he helped him if he was. He wouldn't have. Well, he wouldn't I can got guarantee him a chain, you so. that. <laughs> but if you're telling the cops this story, you'd have to be like, well, I helped the guy, got him an ambulance, then I went and stole the chainsaw. Because they're just going to be like, dude. The way he told the story was basically, I walked out and I saw this man having a heart attack and I had to just turn right back around and go get this chainsaw for my dad. So no, he did yeah, not help this man. It reminded me of my father. <laughs> he just walked out. It's a Christmas miracle. I've got to steal this chainsaw. And then he walked out and he sees a dude having a heart attack, dying on the ground. He's like, that's right. Dad needs a gift. God damn it. <laughs> While still out on bail, Hansen applied for a pilot's license, but was denied when he listed he was taking lithium prescribed by his psychiatrist. He reapplied, this time listing he took no medication, but the examiner checked for previously denied applications and found the discrepancy. Hansen would never be allowed his pilot's license. For real. That's a really good thing. I can't believe he just figured that if he didn't mention it the second time that they wouldn't go see why he's been denied before. Like, even back then, I'm sure they had pretty detailed records of who they let put planes up in the sky legally. <laughs> they didn't because he didn't have his license and they still let him fly all the time. He owned a plane later on. You don't really need a pilot's license. Come on. It's just flying a plane. <laughs> He like went to buy it. They're like, all right, sir, who's going to be flying this off the lot? <laughs> On March 22nd, when his larceny hearing continued, the new psychiatrist diagnosed Hansen with bipolar affective disorder, distinguished from the usual manic depressive disorder because he experienced no depressive states. So he was always manic? No, he was always perfectly fine, but this was like... He was just normal? And yeah, this was just a bullshit diagnosis? Yeah, they literally couldn't stick him in. They couldn't pigeonhole him in as a manic depressive because he was never depressive. So they were just like, oh, well, he's bipolar uh, affective disorder. He wasn't in a traditional sense how you see people manic. They considered his mania him committing crimes. Stealing shit and stuff, yeah. So they're like, yeah, he he's bipolar, but he doesn't ever have highs or lows. So he's just Polar. He's, He's just, just really polar. normal, yeah. actually, now that I think about it. It's a weird diagnosis, but uh, he's so normal, he's bipolar. It's a new thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a new thing. The 70s, right? Hansen was prescribed Thorazine to keep his impulsive behavior under control, but it affected his ability to work, so they switched to lithium, which seemed to do the trick. Isn't Thorazine, like, crazy powerful? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why it has affected him so yeah. much. Yeah, I was going to say, of course just, it's going to affect his work. Yeah, you can't be manic if you're just on your ass sleeping 24-7. Yeah, if you're standing there drooling. Yeah. <laughs> Do not operate heavy machinery. He's like, I can't operate anything. Even lithium's the same way. Lithium's pretty strong. Is it? Yeah. Is, so is Thorazine and lithium, like, they do the same thing, or is it like Ritalin and Adderall, where one of them is like opposite, but they affect people? I thought Thorazine was like uh, a quick react um, type of thing. Like, isn't that what they give them shots of when they're in a crazy state? Oh, like Pulp Fiction. You no, can use it as Thorazine a Thorazine and ketamine. You can use ketamine. Things. There's yeah. a bunch of things, but yeah, they're both antipsychotics, technically. I thought those two were on the same line. I thought lithium was just to help regulate... Uh... Lithium is a... Sedative. Know. Lithium is for people who are bipolar 
Ketamine is for drug addicts. Yeah, I don't know. My sister took lithium, and it didn't seem to like drop her down like that all that hard. If you take enough of it, it will yeah. knock you on your ass. They always say you can't be crazy if you're sedated, basically. So That makes sense. He felt that with continued use, Hansen could live a normal life and control his behavior. Prosecution called the state trooper that investigated the rape of the woman from the Kit Kat Club, and he testified that Hansen should be sent to prison as he was a danger to society. The judge decided to throw out the testimony as charges had never reached a court level. He sentenced Hansen to five years in prison, where he would receive psychiatric treatment and continue his lithium. Because the sentence was five years, Hansen was sent to the prison in Juneau, which did not provide any sort of mental health treatment. Uh, quick fact, Juneau, Alaska has no road access to the whole rest of the state. So everyone has to be flown in there on uh, Hella Chopper. Or... Isn't it an island? <laughs> Who knows? I just know it's got no road access. Okay. That'd be, that'd be cool. That would explain it if it's an island. But, you I, that know. would definitely explain it. I don't know how else you would explain not having any roads to a city. Because it's Alaska. They No, I'm serious. No. That no, was one of his facts, Katie. That was a fact. Yeah, no, it's 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 landlocked. It's yeah, it's landlocked. Yeah, no so no road access, no road access. Didn't even give him his lithium or whatever. Okay, but getting back to this whole thing, um, while he was in Juneau, the roadless prison city, uh, they didn't give him his unneeded lithium. No, they gave him nothing. So I guess it didn't really bother him since he was fake diagnosed. Did yeah, I'm sure he felt better not being on the lithium. Honestly, um, you can drive there. You just have to take a ferry. Is a ferry a road? Okay, so technically you take a road to the boat. I mean, you can drive to Juneau. No, you can't, dude. There's no road you drive access. To... Okay, so yeah, you're right. There's no road access, but there's a ferry that dri- you drive to the ferry that takes you I over. I didn't look that far into the specifics of this factoid of Alaska. Did you also know that it's illegal to whisper in someone's ear when they're hunting deer? Oh, hunting a moose. I'm sorry. Okay. He filed for a sentence reduction to allow him to be held at another prison, but it was denied. The judge told him that he would serve two years in Juneau, then be transferred and pick his lithium treatment back up. They continued to appeal until the judge decided that Hansen be released from prison on August 31st. A hearing to discuss the conditions of his parole was held September 14th, but Hansen didn't attend. It was decided that an order should be prepared that would require Hansen to continue therapy and taking lithium as part of his parole. They paroled him kind of quick. Yeah, basically he went before a judge once and he was like, no, nah, you're kind of an asshole. And then the second time he was like, oh yeah, you have a house and two kids. Okay, you're a really good guy. You have a house, two kids, and you're white. Not only that, he was literally talking to no one. He didn't show up at his hearing. So yeah. he's like, He was hunting. Oh. So... The hearing was adjourned, and the court order was never written or given to Hansen. Once again, he was a free man, paroled with zero supervision, and off his medication completely. Because he was out hunting, and they're like, nah, don't worry about it. They, there was like three or four times that they tried to get the judge to write this court order, and he just never bothered. I think Bobby Boy Hansen may have been homies with the judge or something. He was a really good bullshitter. And uh, they were just hunting buddies. Hansen spent 1978 and most of 1979 hunting and learning how to fly an airplane, despite being denied his pilot's license. He would fly to the Nick River area and practice landing on sandbars and water, and even learned how to shoot wolves and coyotes while he was flying. Who gave this fucking dipshit Rambo wannabe a plane and a gun 
Like, what the fuck? I mean, this is America, man. Commerce-driven society. If you got money, you can buy whatever you want. He had enough money to buy a plane? He hadn't bought a plane at this point, but he does eventually. So okay, he was so renting a plane without a pilot's license? Where the fuck did he get a plane? That's my question. It's Alaska. I don't think they care. Oh, he just found one? Oh, it's like renting a yeah, boat. No, you just no. go over. No, you just find him alongside the road. And you're just oh, like, oh, even better. If you crash a plane in Alaska, what's going to happen? You leave it there for the next guy that's, to show up with a gas can. That's a good point, Katie. Nothing will happen, so yes. they don't really care. Oh, shit. You hear about the plane, plane crash? Lost a moose, two caribou. <laughs> moose of... and caribou are the same thing, Rory. <laughs> He also spent the time he wasn't out hunting at topless bars, prowling for women. On October 14th, 1979, Christy Hayes stands privately for Hansen, who flashed a roll of money and asked her to meet him later. She was off in 20 minutes and agreed to meet him at his gold camper in the parking lot. This fucking asshole. He's got no chill. He literally just trolls around strip clubs for, you know, women who are desperate to make money, and then he sits outside their work in a creepy piss yellow camper and it had to have looked like everything you think a serial killer would drive. And then, at the end of it all, no matter what, he's still just sitting outside their work. That's the creepiest part of the whole thing. Well, mostly he's sitting in their work. Right, but then he's like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you can't get away from him type thing. It's like, oh, you walk out of work, and there's this creepy van, or camper, and there's Bobby Boy, Mm -hmm. with his stupid roll of bills. I don't like this guy. She agreed to oral sex, but when Hansen grabbed her hair to put his gun to her head, she was wearing a wig and it came off. Quickly recovering, he forced her to remove her clothes and bound her with wire. Hansen was used to a woman who would quietly comply when he pointed a gun at them, but Christy began to scream and wouldn't stop. Hansen jumped out of the camper and rushed to his truck to drive somewhere no one could hear Christy screaming. As he drove, she managed to slip out of the wire and was now screaming and banging on the walls. Hansen slammed on the brakes, throwing Christy across the camper, and got out to tie her back up. When he reached the camper door, he realized Christy had locked it and had now crawled through the truck's window and it was in the cab with the doors locked. The driver's side window was partially rolled down, so Hansen stuck his arm in and pulled up the lock while Christy rolled the window up. She trapped his arm, but with one pull, he freed his arm and shattered the window. He pulled Christy out and threw her onto the ground, but she popped right back up and began to run. Hansen tried chasing her, but gave up and tossed her clothes onto the ground before speeding away. Christy had no way of identifying the man, and the police report went nowhere. So this guy was just basically lucky, but was he kind of lower on the IQ scale, kind of Gary Ridgway style of murderer? Just No, not really. Not I mean, really. he was average intelligence. Okay. Why did, why did he just, like, give up? Like, threw her clothes on the ground and said, eh, fuck it. Because she was gone. There was no way he was going to catch up with her. Not and with she that was attitude. not going to comply with him. Yeah. She was going to scream and kick the whole time. And he wants women that just lay there and are quiet because he has a gun pointed at them. Later that same month, Hansen picked up another woman and drove her to the wilderness, intending to rape her. When she explained that she was homeless and hadn't eaten in two days, he let her go unharmed. Now, is there some something about these killers that have, like, these... Weird oddball flashes of strange morality. Like, is it a pattern? Is it something that's linked with some sort of diagnosis to have, like, that weird moral compass, I guess? Like, where, oh, I'm not going to kill or hurt this one because she hasn't eaten in two days. Like, does that make sense? 
I think it just makes him feel more powerful because he's saying, oh, well, I pity you. And so in that case, you get to go free without me hurting okay. you. I don't think it's any sort of specific diagnosis that gives you or there's a weird sense of morale. Yeah, there's a weird moral. It compass. could be like a self-preservation thing too, where he's like, because you know, obviously, maybe he doesn't know how long this situation that he's planning in his head is going to draw out, and then he's like, oh, well, she hasn't eaten in two days. That could make this whole thing just real, real difficult. Well, I think he has a goal in mind to know how long it's going to take to accomplish that goal, but my. Like, this isn't the first time we've seen, like, those weird bits of semi-morality or, like, some weird code or guideline with serial killers where they... It makes them feel good about themselves because they did something nice. Yeah, so I'm not killing you, so I'm doing something good. Okay, makes sense. I'm a real shitty person here, here, and here, but I let that one girl go because she hadn't eaten, so I'm going to sleep well tonight. Basically. Sometime in the last few months of 1979, Hanson met a woman who's known now as Lutna Annie and the two made a deal to have sex at his home in exchange for money. As they were driving down Eklutna Road, the woman realized Hansen was not taking her to his house and told him she wasn't going any further. Pointing his gun at her, Hansen told her she was and continued down Eklutna Road towards the Nick River. It had rained recently and Hansen got stuck in the mud when he turned off the main road onto a trail. Using a winch on his truck, the woman helped Hansen get unstuck and then ran as soon as she had the chance. He chased after her, eventually catching up and discovering she'd taken a knife out of her purse. Hansen managed to trip her to the ground and get the knife away before pinning her to the ground. He tried calming her, telling her he wasn't going to kill her, but she continued to scream. Hansen took the knife and stabbed her in the back, killing her. He buried her in a shallow grave and left the scene. So, how many dead at this point versus how many survivors? There's 12 victims total, 8 of them are dead. Jesus. In okay. this whole episode, we're at eight, and then as many as 21. Goddamn, okay. Not long after killing a glutton Annie, Hansen was at another local topless bar called the Great Alaskan Bush Company. Great strip club name. I feel like Australia would like that name a little more. There was one in Phoenix at one point. Really? I knew it sounded familiar. Okay, that makes sense then. Yeah, that's still a great name, though. Oh, no, it's a, it's a wonderful name. It just would be better in an Australian accent. Great yeah. Australian Bush Company. They would just call it Bush down there. <laughs> you guys want to head on over to Bush? Going down to the Bush. After her attempted rape, Christy Hayes had left her old club and was now working at the Bush Company. She'd gotten a new wig, so Hanson didn't recognize her, but she knew it was him the moment she laid eyes on him. She jumped off the stage and attacked Hanson, not stopping until the police arrived. When questioned, Hansen said he hadn't done anything to Christy besides not paying her when she wanted more money than originally decided when he picked her up. Which is just like what he said before, right? Exactly. He explained he had a wife and children and didn't want them finding out about either incident, and the officers agreed to let him go. Protecting and serving the wrong way. Did they at least trespass him? No. I think he went back multiple times. It's another example of the cops not taking uh, sex workers seriously. Like, all of them were just like, you know, like guys club probably. They just laughed it off. Oh, crazy stripper. I told her that, uh, you know, I'd give her this much money and then she wanted more. And then I wouldn't give it to her. So she attacked me. What am I supposed to Don't tell my wife and kids, please. That sounds about right. Oh, yeah, buddy. We got you. No worries, bub. Have a beer. 
On June 28, 1980, 24-year-old Roxanne Eastland went to meet a date on Northern Lights Boulevard. She never returned home, and her roommate reported her missing four days later. Is this an assumed victim, or just another mark on the map that they can't write off? I'm not sure they ever found her body, but this is one of his confirmed victims, I'm pretty sure. Okay. And it fits his M.O., right? Like, he likes to have them set up as, like, a normal date. They think they're going to a normal date. People around them know that they're going off to meet someone. Because, like, the 70s were a different time, or I guess the 80s now. They were a different time. People weren't as, like, vigilant of self-preservation, I guess you would say. He always offered money, so it's always going to be, oh, I'm meeting a photographer who's going to pay me $300, or I'm meeting a man who wants to take me on a shopping spree, and he's going to give me $300. So it's always money. I think some of the women sometimes didn't mention that, but it's always, I'm meeting someone for money. Sometime between June and July 8th, Joanne Messina met Hanson on the dock in Seward. She explained she was camping, and he invited her to dinner with him, which she agreed to. After they ate dinner, Joanne explained to Hanson that she didn't have a job, and they could have a real nice time if you have some money. Hanson agreed and drove her out to the wilderness by the Snow River. Joanne was angry he tricked her into going so far for money and demanded he take her back to Seward, which made Hanson even angrier. He forced Joanne into his camper, and a struggle ensued, but Joanne was able to break away and run. Hanson took his twenty-two caliber revolver from the closet and chased her, catching up and hitting her over the head with a gun, knocking her to her knees. Joanne hadn't given up yet and attacked him again, clawing his face and kicking him while screaming. Hanson fired two shots, killing Joanne, and drug her body to a nearby gravel pit where he covered her with sand. Does he have, like, a point where he decides because you know some of the women he lets go some of the women he doesn't bother to chase um but then some of them he just all of a sudden it seems like he's like he hit her over the head like maybe he wasn't planning to kill her but then all of a sudden he just like yeah fuck it and shot her what is it that makes him like does he intend to kill them all when he starts no when they when he discovers that they're prostitutes is when they go from maybe being a nice woman that he could actually go on a date with to I'm going to either rape or kill this woman. Well, how fucked up is that? They're not prostitutes until he tries to get them well, to she give said, them sex for money. In this case, I'm not victim blaming, but in this case, she said, well, we could have a good time if you have money. And that's where that switch basically flips in him uh, because they go from maybe being a good, nice woman to, in his mind, a, a bad woman. And see, it's like he's setting himself up for the opportunity to do what he really wants because in his mind, like... I'm not victim shaming, but in his mind, all of these women would technically be not good women. He's probably strip clubs for them, right? So exactly. he's already putting, like, he's already setting them up for failure, I guess, so to speak. It sounds like kind of fucked up, but really, what other outcome did he think was going to happen here? Yeah, and this is why he can have that sort of double life where he's out killing prostitutes, but he has a nice wife at home because she's a good Christian woman and she would never take money for sex. Joanne had brought her dog along, which Hanson shot and threw into the woods, fearing it would lead someone to Joanne's body. He threw his gun into the Snow River before getting back into his truck and returning to Seward. On July 8th, Seward police discovered Joanne's body in the pit, half-eaten by bears. There are 21 people for every one bear in Alaska, just in case you guys were wondering. Nine days later, the body of Ekladna Annie was discovered. Her remains were so badly decomposed she could not be identified and still, to this day, remains a Jane Doe. Fuck 
this guy. For real, fuck this guy. On September 6, 1980, 41-year-old Lisa Futrell arrived at the Great Alaskan Bush Company for her shift. Also there that night was Robert Hansen. After finishing her shift, Lisa disappeared and was never seen again. On January 6, 1981, Hansen called Anchorage Police and reported that his home had been burglarized. He reported that one black bear skin, one wolverine skin, one world record doll sheep head, one grizzly bear skin, and one set of walrus tusks had been stolen from him. Hansen filed an insurance claim who paid him $13,000 for the trophies. Was this a real burglary or did he set it up trying to get insurance money? No, it was insurance fraud. He hid everything in his backyard and then said that he forgot to basically say that he found the items after they gave him money. Interesting. It's so crazy how this guy constantly gets away with just the stupidest shit. No, yeah. No, he doesn't get away with the stupid shit. He gets caught for all this stupid shit. It's amazing that he got away with killing 14 women up to this point or whatever it is. Like, that's absolutely fucking insane. I mean, but he got away with the insurance fraud too, right? Um, When he eventually gets caught after everything, they charge him with it. So no, technically he didn't. Good. Hansen used this money to open his very own bakery, completing his image as a perfect, hard-working family man. On February 18th, three women, Molly Casey, Michelle Strong, and Maria Schmidt, were all reported missing. Sometime in June, 28-year-old Malie Larson disappeared from downtown Anchorage, but wasn't reported missing until July 10th. Uh, why, why, wasn't she, what, <laughs> why wasn't she reported missing for like 12 days? I don't know. Okay. Just the way it works in Alaska sometimes. And when we don't have anyone there to report you missing. Yeah, I think she was there from Malaysia. And so she basically was far, far away from anyone and everyone yeah, that knew are, her. That's that's kind of why uh, predators use women that are sex workers as their hunting targets. Because they're generally... Not a lot of people around to look out for them. Like it's like prostitutes especially because who's looking out for the prostitutes? Not really anyone. So, okay. So, yeah, it took days for one of her friends probably to notice that she was. Yeah, days for anyone to notice that she hadn't shown up or. It was probably something. in reality another prostitute. <laughs> On November 17, 1981, Sherry Morrow left her friend's house around noon and disappeared. She was going to a nearby cafe where she was meeting a photographer who promised to pay her $300 for posing nude. So obviously. Yeah, it was Hanson. The photographer was Hanson, who blindfolded Sherry with ace bandages, handcuffed her, and put her on the floorboard of his car. He drove to the Nick River and onto a sandbar where he took Sherry out of the car. Before he could remove her handcuffs, she began fighting him, and Hanson decided to get out his gun and sit under a tree while she calmed down. While he was sitting, Sherry came over and began kicking him and screaming, so Hanson pointed his 223 caliber Mini-14 up and fired, killing her. 223? Point, point two, two, three. Point two, two, three. Yeah, that's what you want to say. <clears throat> While he was sitting, Sherry came over and began kicking him and screaming, so Hanson pointed his .223 caliber Mini-14 up and fired, killing her. 
He dug a shallow grave and drug her body into it, taking her arrowhead necklace as a souvenir and tossing the shell casing on top of her before burying her. So, obviously, he's got a whole bunch of, like, fake diagnosis, but what what really is he dealing with here? Just being Just being a psychopath or... Basically, I don't think he was ever officially diagnosed with anything, but on December 2nd, Andrea Eltieri left her apartment to meet a man who had told her he was taking her on a shopping spree. She took a cab to the mall, where she met Robert Hansen. After getting her into the car, he blindfolded and handcuffed her, and once again headed for the Nick River. According to Hansen, he had taken a woman to a spot by the Nick River Railroad Bridge a week before and raped her. Everything had gone smoothly, so he decided to take Andrea to the same place. Before getting out of the car, Hansen fondled Andrea and used his gun to force her to perform oral sex. Andrea told Hansen she needed to use the restroom, so they both got out of the car, Hansen setting his gun on the hood so he could go while Andrea walked off a ways. While he was urinating, Hansen heard a noise and turned around to see Andrea reaching for the gun on the hood of his car. She only managed to get her hand on the butt of the gun before he grabbed it by the barrel and wrenched it out of her hand, throwing it back onto the car. Andrea attacked Hansen, kicking him and shoving her thumbs into his eyes in an attempt to blind him. Hansen grabbed the gun again, this time shooting Andrea and killing her. He took a canvas duffel bag out of his car and filled it with dirt and gravel, then drug it and Andrea's body to the edge of the bridge. Before he got rid of the body, Hansen took a pearl ring and a necklace with a fish charm of, off of Andrea to keep as souvenirs. So is, is he killing for like the power control aspect of killing? Um, or is this just like something else? Like what type of killer keeps trophies? Is it just like a deer rack for him? or He was getting sexual gratification from it, and he used the souvenirs to do the same thing. So with his map, that was like his main go-to to satisfy himself. So you're saying he used his map and his souvenirs to jerk off? Yes. Okay. And it is the memory of what he did at those locations, really. Yeah, so I think it was sexually gratifying, and he's also just a really fucking angry person. Okay. He tied the weighted bag to her neck and pushed her over the edge, sinking her body at the bottom of the nick. I couldn't find actual, um, like, a depth of the nick, like, of average depth. But I did look it up, and it is a very large river. Like, there's some small rivers. There's some big rivers. The Nick is big. Like, it's got a full-on bridge that goes across it, and it probably takes at least a few minutes to drive across it from the looks of it. It's a big old river. With two more women now missing, Andrea and Sherry's families both pushed Anchorage police to start an investigation. Up to this point, they figured the women were still alive, having been shipped off to another club by Talent West or escaping the Tenderloin District in another way. Over the last year and a half, seven women, all exotic dancers, had gone missing. As they began to investigate, they discovered the three women, Molly Casey, Michelle Strong, and Maria Schmidt, who had disappeared in February of 1981, had been snuck out of Anchorage by a church group and were safe elsewhere, hiding from their bosses at Talent West. This brought the number of missing women down to four, or so the police thought. By this point, Hansen had killed eight women, Megan Emmerich, Ikletna Annie, Roxanne Eastland, Lisa Futrell, Shelley Morrow, and Andrea Altieri in Anchorage, and Mary Thill and Joanne Messina in Seward. 
Anchorage PD investigated for two months before asking the public's help in locating the women. At this point, they had no idea that a serial killer was roaming the streets, raping and killing exotic dancers by luring them in with promises of money. So, what exactly did the investigation discover when they were looking for missing missing persons? Because at this point, they were looking for assumed alive people, correct? Yeah, so... I have a feeling when they found the three women that had been taken, when they found Casey and Strong and Schmidt, that they kind of were like, oh, okay, well, that's what happened to all of these women. Yeah, they just wrote it off as the answer to what was happening. They they thought it was serious, and they went, okay, well, three of the seven are safe, so I'm sure the other four are fine, too, probably. We'll keep looking, but not as hard. And as it turns out, they were still off by four at least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was Anchorage PD, so they were only looking into their missing women, not the ones in Seward, uh, which is a different town. I see. Well, is that is that where we're stopping this week? Yep. We're going to finish next week. All right. More happy-go-lucky information for you guys next week. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. He's terrible. Yeah. I don't... I've heard about him a million times. I've never, like, looked into it deeply, but I didn't realize his victim count was... So I yeah he's fairly fucking prolific I would say like that's crazy he's like the ptarmigan the what Alaska state bird okay well all right guys thank you for listening if you have any questions comments or concerns feel free to send us an email at four corners at gmail dot com that's f o u r corners crimecast at gmail dot com you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash four corners crimecast on Instagram at Four Corners Crimecast, on Twitter at Four Corners Cast, and on Tumblr at tumblr.com forward slash Four Corners Crimecast. All the tumbles. And don't forget to give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. Check out our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com. You can head over there to get a full episode list if you want to send us ideas for an episode, or if you just want to get one of our awesome vinyl stickers to slap on your coffee mug or your car or whatever thing you may have. Uh, just enter the code Bingo Bango at checkout, and we will ship you out a sticker 100% for free. So hope you guys are enjoying this series. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, just don't be a piece of shit like Bobby Boy Hansen, because fuck that guy. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we'll uh, be back with you next week for the conclusion. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you next week. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers.